You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's to find out more about our church or to take a next step. Visit stbarts.com.au. Well, as we continue our series in Jeremiah, it'd be great to have your Bibles or Bible app open at Jeremiah chapter 9 still. Today we're actually going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 9 and also chapter 10. There's an outline on the back of the news, so there's some sermon points there in English, Korean, Dinka, and Simplified Chinese, if that's of help to you. But right now, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious Lord, please help us not to boast in ourselves, nor in things that are not true, or those things which do not last, but please help us to boast in you, the Lord alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Australia, we're not really particularly fond of boasting, of telling everyone of how awesome we are. We want to cut tall poppies down like a lawnmower tackling the summer weeds. Yet, whilst we might be a bit irritated or even a bit revolted by people boasting about themselves, we've also kind of become masters of a more subtle type of boast. Not the type of boast that's plain to see and transparent, you know, the overt and obvious type of boast, that's yuck, but the low-key boast, the humble brag that takes a bit more subtlety and a bit more effort. Now, last time I mentioned a, a humble brag, it turns out that a lot of people didn't know what a humble brag is because people must be so virtuous that they know what a humble brag is. But a humble brag is basically just saying something that's self-deprecating, so putting yourself down, but with the intention to draw attention to something that you think is actually pretty impressive about yourself. So here are some Examples I prepared earlier, maybe some examples that I may have even used recently, okay? So, so it might go something along the lines of, you know, I really struggled this semester at uni. My GPA, so my overall score, slipped because I got my first ever distinction. So the struggle is real. Uh, I'm really so sore at the moment. My body is so sore because I just keep running faster and faster in my training. Or, I am doing so much overtime at the moment, I just don't have any time to spend all the money that I'm earning. You know, in a culture with a disdain for boasting, we've actually become strangely proficient at doing it differently. Now, I don't mean just an awareness or a gratitude for our gifts and our strengths. So seeing those things clearly is actually a form of humility. But being so desperate for people to recognise and acknowledge our value and worth that we want to even maybe feel a little bit superior, that we've got to point things out, even if sometimes it means cutting people down. Strangely, or surprisingly, the solution the Bible shows us is not to stop boasting. For the problem is not that we boast but that we often boast with the wrong intention and in the wrong things. Jeremiah has been warning God's people that because they have turned away from God and turned to other things, now is the time to abandon what is false and embrace what is true. It's time to turn from idols and return to the Lord. It's time to turn from injustice and 
reform their living. Yet we see they are determined to keep following their own ways and ignore the warnings that Jeremiah has pronounced. The people, through their words and their lives, are saying, in effect, she'll be right. They're trusting in all the wrong things. They think that because they've got the temple, that they'll be fine. They think because they carry the markers of being God's people, that they can do as they please. Yet the Lord says, their hearts are far from me. They need an inner change, a circumcised heart that is humble and transformed before God. By the time we get to chapter 9, it's abundantly clear that terrible judgment is coming. It's baffling, even mystifying, as to why they would not heed the warnings. But Jeremiah shows us that if you want to understand, if you really want to get to the heart of the problem, if you want to diagnose why they and we can be so stubborn, you just need to look at what they're boasting in from where they derive their ultimate value and worth. Boasting reveals something, not only of our insecurities, but it exposes something of where we derive our value and worth. You know, why do we need to sneak it in? Why do we need to cut people down? Because it's often the source from which we derive our value and our worth. Boasting is not the problem. The danger is what you boast in. Jeremiah shows them, and he also shows us, where we ought to boast. We boast not in ourselves, not in others, but in the Lord alone. So first, we boast not in ourselves. So let's pick up at chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of the wisdom or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Now, we're obviously going to get to why we should boast in the Lord, so that's a spoiler alert, we're going to get to that. But note in these two verses, God is showing us through Jeremiah a contrast between what his people value and what the Lord himself values. That's the contrast going on here. So remember, boasting gives us a clue. It's a a pointer. It's an indicator to where we derive our value and our worth. The value and therefore what we boast in, he says, they value, sorry, and therefore boast in wisdom, strength, and wealth. The Lord values and therefore calls us to boast in kindness, justice, and righteousness. So these are the things that the Lord delights in. You know, boasting, boasting in the moment usually feels pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, We usually want to take some delight in what we're boasting in. But God is actually making a mockery of what his people delight in. The wise boast of their wisdom, the strong boast of their strength, the rich boast of their riches. Look out for the things you boast in and you'll likely learn something about what you really value. 
So, you know, next time you dispense a humble brag, that might be out loud or it might actually be in your heart, consider if it's revealing something about what you value. I think it's, of course, really convenient that often the things that we think are worthy of our boasting, you know, the things that we're good at, that we think we might be better at than other people, you know, I'm far more likely to boast about how much I read rather than how handy I am at fixing things around the house. You know, it's a very convenient reason for that. Just a few years ago, Amelia, so my oldest daughter and I, we had a reading competition of who could read the most in one week. And I remember towards the end of that week, Amelia asked me, how many pages did you get through? And when I told her, she just responded with, oh. (laughs) And I remember thinking in that moment, I never thought it would be my reading ability, (laughs) which would be the first thing to disappoint her. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom nor the strong boast of their strength, nor the rich boast of their riches. You know, we can often fall into the same trap of boasting. In our intellect, our physical achievements, or actually any achievements, or our resources. And really, it's a, it's a genius trifecta, because no one really escapes unscathed. They seem to be actually very common things to which we can all look to and therefore boast in, just as humans. As Paul wrote to the early church in Corinth, he actually has to address the same three things. To the people whom Jeremiah had preached, wisdom had become a source of pride and folly. Strength had actually become coercive power and unbridled violence. And riches had become dishonest gain and idolatrous greed. These are the things in which they took pleasure. But God says, not only should we take pleasure in what pleases him, kindness over wisdom, justice over strength, righteousness over riches, but also that those things in which they boast will not withstand the judgment of God. So, of course, this is not saying that all wisdom, strength and riches are bad. There are many examples all throughout the scriptures of God giving those things to people at different times. But how you deploy them and how you approach them matters. These things had become their source of value and worth. It's what mattered to them. To the extent that they seemingly valued these things even more than God. Yet as judgment comes, the supposed wisdom of the governing authorities and religious elite will be exposed as fake the supposed strength of their military might will be unable to defend them, and the supposed riches of their nation will be laid ruined and carried off. These things will never have the capacity to be the source of our worth nor our value. Therefore, we must not, we need not boast in them. And when we feel a temptation to, it's actually a great opportunity of thanks to the one who really is the source of any wisdom, strength and resources that we have. We boast not in ourselves. Second, boast not in other things or in others. So chapter 10, verse 3. The practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. 
They must be carried because they must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. So God's people were not only readily influenced by the beliefs of other nations, but they also didn't seem to lack any ingenuity of their own when it came to creating new idols to worship. They were really good at it, really creative at it. It seems actually that they would almost worship anything. So this section at one level is directed to the nations, but the subtext is that God's people had also been caught up in these things. They created physical idols, so images or statues of other gods to worship. They offered sacrifices to those things. It seems some were even engaging in the practice of child sacrifice, and they even put some of these idols on display in the temple. Not only is this, of course, breaking God's commands and deeply insulting to him, but the Lord says this is abhorrent. It's folly. It's madness. It's utterly worthless. Or as described in chapter 10, verse 8, they are all senseless and foolish. That's the assertion. It says like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Okay, that's an ultimate burn in the ancient world. So really the point is that, you know, cucumbers grow below the surface of the ground and so they're out of sight and out of reach of a crow. And even then they're covered by a canopy of leaves. So a scarecrow is completely useless. It's pointless. You know, God is saying, your idols are pointless. I think my grandmother would have said something like, it's like a screen door on a submarine or something like that. God even gives them a framework for working out and working through just how worthless the idols are. It's like he says, look at this idol's future and its past and you'll see just how worthless it is. So it's, its future, well, it's not going to last. It's just a mere object. And its past, well, it's just a created thing. You know that. So God's making a mockery of the situation. I want you to imagine during the week that you meet up with a friend and as you sit down with great excitement, they open up their bag and they, they pull out, they reveal this much-loved idol. You know, it's an idol that they've made. It is their precious. You, you discover, as they tell you about this, as they boast about this thing, that they've been carrying around now all the time, that it's become their real source of hope and strength. They think it's, it's really powerful and spiritual. But you know, it's just wood and gold. It's a blinged up wooden trinket. You might want to say, you know, at what point did you think that this became a god or a window to the gods? God is saying, these things are made, but I am the very author of creation. The idol is created, but the Lord is creator. The idol is dead, but the Lord is living. The idol is powerless, but the Lord is powerful. The idol is temporary, but the Lord is eternal. The idol is fake, but the Lord is real. So why boast in these things? Paul sums up seemingly the situation perfectly in Romans saying, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever placed. 
Now, it's probably worth saying at this point that, you know, if you do have any idols, it would be pretty good to discard them, okay? So you don't need to put up your hand now or anything like that, but it might be good to discard them. Uh, the Lord says on their own they can't harm or bless. After all, they're created, fake, dead, powerless and temporary. But the danger is that they can lead us astray from what we really ought to be worshipping. You don't want them to capture the devotion of your heart. And of course, if you don't have any idols, you know, fashioned from wood, adorned with gold, hammered so they don't totter, it doesn't actually mean that you don't have any idols. Last week, we saw how so often our hearts are idol factories that can be readily activated into idol manufacturing mode, especially when we are vulnerable or unsatisfied or in plenty. And if you want to be on the lookout for where idolatry can creep in, you can just look for, in the words of Tim Keller, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. You know, the things that we're so often tempted to boast in. There is only one in whom we can find satisfaction of our value and our worth. There is only one place in which our boasting can find a worthy home. And that's in the Lord. Chapter 10, verse 6. No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, King of the nations? This is your Jew. Among all the wise leaders of the nations in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Uh, the Lord gives us good cause to boast in him because we can know him, that we can know him. No one is like you, Lord. There is not one like you. So that means that we don't need to muster up reasons why God is, is worthy of our boasting. We don't need to will it into existence. We're simply recognising and recalling what is real. Jeremy actually provides, Jeremiah actually provides a litany of examples. It's basically a song of praise. And so we read in verse 12, he continues, But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out wind from his storehouses. He is great. His name is mighty in power. He is the real, living, or powerful, eternal creator. Therefore, every king and everyone should revere him as Lord. Jeremiah, Jeremiah proclaims, you know, search all the wise leaders of every nation, search every kingdom. Basically, you could forever conduct the most exhaustive executive search in history and you're still going to come up with nothing, no one, not even one comes close. He's incomparable. So boasting in God is not like choosing something better over something inferior. So it's not like choosing, you know, McDonald's over a Michelin-style restaurant or something like that. It's choosing something true over something which is false. That's why we boast and delight in the Lord. When we derive our value and our worth in him, we're doing so from the one who is of infinite worth 
yet gave it all up for us. So often, if you're like me, it's really easy just in the normal rhythms of life just to forget how good the Lord is. It's easy to find ourselves boasting or driving our value and worth in ourselves and in other things, in things which can never deliver and what we really long for. I find, personally, one of the most helpful things that I can do in those times when I feel or I want to express a sense of boasting in things not of God, even if it's just a boasting in my heart, is to simply use those things as a springboard to boast in the Lord. So, you know, tempted to boast in your intellect? Well, give thanks to the one who gave it to you, who is wiser than we ever dared dreamed or imagine. Tempted to boast in your strength? Well, give thanks to the one who's the very cause of our strength. Tempted to boast in your resources? Well, give thanks to the one who's the ultimate provider and who has even gone so far to make you his treasure. You know, I don't want to tell you or myself how great I am, but I want to tell you of the greatness of the Lord. I think it's almost a paradox that in Australian culture that even though we can be really quick to boast about things, that we can also be also really struggle to receive compliments. We can be quick to deflect them or deny them or, or mirror them back. And maybe that's because we're a bit insecure or maybe that's because we don't want to boast in ourselves. But actually, a good little experiment you could run this week is that next time you receive a compliment, it might not only be an opportunity to give thanks, but also point that person to the one whom you're ultimately thankful. So not like someone says to you, oh, that's a nice car, and you say, just wait to see the chariot that Jesus returns on one day. But, you know, things that sincerely point others to where you really derive your ultimate value and worth. If you see kindness, praise God for the work of his spirit. If you see intellect, praise God for he is the giver of wisdom. If you see compassion, praise God for the gut-wrenching compassion that he's poured out for us. If you see achievement, praise God for what he has achieved for us. If you want to get into the groove of some godly boasting, you know, don't just wait for an opportunity to boast, okay? So you could spend some time this week. You might even take one hour, a whole hour this week, okay? And, and write down some of the ways that you have known the kindness and greatness of God in your life. So you might want to get out a piece of paper, drop three columns, and write about who is God, what he has done, and what he's promised to do. Not only... Will that help us let go of things that are false and grip on to what is true? But it should move us to deploy all that God has entrusted to us, any cause that we have for boasting for his purposes. Right after Jeremiah's warning of the coming destruction, this section concludes with a prayer. And as Jeremiah identifies with the plight of his people, even as they experience the fruit of their unfaithfulness, he longs for a time, he, he longs for a way that they would not be wiped out and that God would find a way in his mercy to bring them through it. Now, eventually, of course, there was a restoration, but an even greater restoration awaits. 
that God would find a way not only just to bring his people back, but that he would make a way for all people to come to him. God doesn't give us some mere empty image, but he sent us himself in the very image of his son. That that knowing that there is nothing that we can do, no faithfulness of our own sufficient for us to boast in, that he would give us himself the only one worthy of our boasting. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. We boast not in ourselves, nor in others, but as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that in your goodness, as we look to you, that we find a true and worthy one in whom we can place our boasting. Lord, we thank you that you are creator, that you are living, that you are powerful, that you are eternal, that you are real. Lord, would you please shine a light in our hearts. Show us those false things in which we boast, those things which are ultimately dead and powerless, temporary and fake. And that instead we will find in you the true source from which we can derive our value and our worth. We thank you that as we look to Jesus, And as we see your love and your grace poured out in him, that we can boast and delight in him and then seek to follow you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.